2020 was a year unlike any other in the 40-year history of the HIV-AIDS pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic poses geopolitical threats to progress in the field and has impacted many of the systems in place meant to combat HIV. As the COVID pandemic continues into 2021, unprecedented disruptions, social and economic instability, fear of accessing health facilities, and impacts on current HIV programs force the global health community to reassess how to adapt, protect, and sustain progress. In this podcast, we will speak to experts, community leaders, and people living with HIV about the progress towards meeting HIV targets under this new COVID reality and the future of health security in low and middle income countries. I'm Catherine Bliss, and this is AIDS 2021. Hello, and welcome to the AIDS 2021 podcast. My name is Janet Fleischman, and I'm a senior associate at the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. In this episode, we are delighted to be joined by Her Excellency Mrs. Monica Gengos, the First Lady of the Republic of Namibia. A lawyer and a businesswoman before becoming First Lady in 2015, Mrs. Gengos has been an outspoken champion for women and girls and gender equality in Namibia and globally including being a UNAIDS special advocate for young women and adolescent girls. Our conversation today touches on why COVID's disproportionate impact on women and girls should push us to finally make these issues policy and funding priorities, why we keep making the same mistakes in responding to pandemics and global health security, why multi-sectoral initiatives like PEPFAR's dreams are so critical, and why she tells girls and young women not to aspire to become first ladies, but to be politically and economically empowered. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Madam Genkos. We are delighted to have you participating in this. And we wanted to begin talking about the COVID pandemic which the whole world, of course, is grappling with. And we know that it is threatening to reverse decades of progress for women and girls around the world and across the continent. Why is it important for the global and the national responses to COVID to include a particular focus on addressing the vulnerabilities and the needs of adolescent girls and young women? It's absolutely critical that the global and national responses to COVID-19 include this focus on addressing vulnerabilities and inequalities faced by um, women and girls. Because the reality is that poverty and inequality have always constituted a recognized cause and consequence of HIV. And we know that both poverty and inequality, as well as many other structural drivers of HIV, have been exacerbated by COVID. So it's not about whether COVID might threaten gains, it has threatened gains. And the correlation between poverty, inequality, and COVID means that an HIV-free generation is a generation that must be free from poverty. It must be a generation that's free from gender inequality. And it must be a generation in which girls must have access, equal access to education. Before COVID, the structural inequalities faced by women and girls 
were disproportionately and unacceptably high. We're only halfway through the pandemic and it's abundantly clear that what we regarded as unacceptable before COVID has now reached crisis levels and will snowball into multiple catastrophes post COVID. We also know that when crisis hits, girls are the first to leave school and the last to come back. An example would be Namibia where before COVID, we had a teenage pregnancy rate of 19%, which is very high. And during COVID lockdowns, statistics from the education sector are suggesting that the number of teenage pregnancies has doubled. Again, in Namibia, during lockdown, every single crime went down, except for sexual violence. We also know that COVID-19 has reversed gains in reducing poverty, not only in Namibia, but across the world. And all of these factors and many other factors have a direct and negative impact on women and girls. As you can imagine, many governments in the developing world have multiple competing and urgent issues which require funding prioritization. Adolescent girls and young women have never made it onto the policy or funding priority list. And as we press the reset button and build back our post-COVID lives, there is a unique opportunity to reprioritize and place adolescent girls and young women on the funding priority list. And understandably, COVID has reduced already scarce resources, which requires a strong case for any issue to deserve a place on the priority list. The reason I strongly believe women and girls deserve this place is that they are the one single group which represents the most vulnerable in our society. And we all know that if you protect the most vulnerable, you protect society. That leads right into the whole question of the lessons from other global health crises. Sometimes we start from zero every time, but we have seen, as you alluded to, from the HIV crisis, as well as the current COVID crisis, that the impact is often felt both directly and indirectly in sort of secondary cascading impacts in a particularly acute way on women and girls, and particularly adolescent girls, as you mentioned, in terms of education, economic empowerment, unintended pregnancies, the broader effort to address women and girls' health and development needs as a way to strengthen communities and societies. This is part of the global health security agenda that everyone wants to talk about now. Would you talk for a minute about why a focus on adolescent girls and young women is so important for global health security and the lessons we've learned from the HIV epidemic as well? There are so many lessons from other health crises, particularly the painful lessons from the HIV response. And this is around the critical need to make pharmaceutical remedies available to everybody, the consequences of stigma, the need to rebuild resilient healthcare systems, ensuring zero discrimination, and even the disproportionate impact on women and girls. But for me, the biggest and most endearing lesson is that we don't learn the lesson. We make the same mistakes, pandemic after pandemic, mistake after mistake. Vaccine apartheid, there it is. Stigma, weak public healthcare systems that can't respond to a new crisis, discrimination, ignoring the disproportionate impact on women and girls. We have not learned anything. And the worst is that pandemics are reoccurring and it's soul destroying to see the same mistakes over and over again. And it's always the poor and the vulnerable who pay the highest cost. And we know that the poor and vulnerable 
are mostly women and girls. So if anything, COVID has reinforced the deep sense of powerlessness that those at the bottom have always felt. Imagine being a young African woman right now. You have no foreseeable prospect to be vaccinated against COVID. You are at higher risk of violence in general and sexual violence in particular. You have reduced access to sexual and reproductive health services. You have a higher likelihood of falling pregnant and contracting HIV. And you deal with all of this, knowing that your needs have never been prioritized and are unlikely to be prioritized anytime soon. This is both dehumanizing and disempowering. And this is the place where so many adolescent girls and young women find themselves. And this is why we need to redouble our efforts to spotlight issues which impact and undermine the ability for girls to become educated and empowered. And to address girls' health and development, we, we must have an integrated and multi-sectoral approach, which effectively starts with reproductive choices, reducing maternal mortality, preventing mother-to-child HIV transmission. And once a healthy baby is born, ensuring that the baby is protected from harm, provided nutritious meals, and has uninterrupted access to education. Effectively, we want adolescent girls to be free from HIV, free from violence, gender discrimination, and anything really that holds them back. And this is what was required before COVID. And we now need the political will to ensure it happens post-COVID. We also know that leadership matters. Now is the time for global leaders to step up. This is the time for national leaders to shape up or ship out. Adolescent girls and young women can afford nothing else. You mentioned the importance of an integrated multi-sectoral response which of course is always complicated because different funding streams and siloed funding and all the complications that we know. One of the innovative or, or ambitious elements of the DREAMS initiative was of course this multi-sectoral platform. And in certain ways, we have argued that that's a platform that should be carried forward for not only HIV outcomes, but for broader health and development outcomes for women and girls, using safe spaces, using education, using community engagement, focusing on GBV and education, economic empowerment. It's a lot to get your arms around, but then again, their needs are, are multifaceted. How do you see, as you look forward for a, a next phase of dreams and these kinds of investments, why is the DREAMS platform something that could be leveraged? Why is that an important contribution for meeting the needs of adolescent girls and young women and by extension, their communities and their countries? So initiatives like DREAMS are, are critical initiatives because what they do correctly is understand that the needs for adolescent girls and young women are diverse. So it has to be a multi-sectoral multiple interventions breaking down of silos in order for them to work. And I think one thing that DREAMS recognized early on before COVID is that girls were being denied education. And what COVID has done is to exacerbate the fault lines that already existed. And we need to fix what was wrong before COVID and play catch up to the reversals caused by COVID. So initiatives like DREAMS need to be put on steroids in order for them to be 
effective in a post-COVID world because everything Dreams was worried about before COVID has multiplied in a way that is horrifying to think of its consequences. And the investment case for making sure that these type of initiatives actually are fast-tracked is really that we need to stop looking at the provision of needs for adolescent girls and young women as a healthcare issue or as an education-only issue. It's it's an economic issue. And there are enough studies to prove that women who are educated have fewer children and they have increased chances of economic and political empowerment. If we can't protect women and girls from unwanted pregnancies, we can't protect them from disproportionate likelihood of contracting HIV. And we know why adolescent girls and young women are twice as likely to contract HIV than their male peers. It's, it's about gender justice. And if we don't ensure gender justice in the HIV response, it will never be done. And it's not just in the HIV response. It's in the wide variety of needs that adolescent girls and young women have. So very similar to what the world that dreams had envisaged is dismantling patriarchy remains at the center of creating an equal world because Patriarchy makes the world a cold and dangerous place for women. And ensuring equal access to education is akin to providing women a map to navigate a difficult terrain, while also providing an economic and political shield for women to protect themselves from harm. And the harm suffered by women and children has generational consequences. It sounds so corny, but the simple truth is this. When we protect women and children, we protect present and future generations. There is no better investment than the investment in the health, protection, and empowerment of adolescent girls and young women. Your message, which I know you often convey, but which is so important now to adolescent girls and young women, not only in Namibia and in Southern and Eastern Africa, who have been so hard hit by the HIV crisis, but to the broader continent and the broader world when there are adolescent girls and young women, many of whose struggles are similar across the world. What is your message to them about leadership, empowerment, their own health and a vision for their future that is perhaps different from what their mothers or grandmothers would have imagined? I've got a strong feeling that this generation of adolescent girls and young women are uniquely placed to fast track progress in the fight to ensure gender equality for all. So my message to adolescent girls and young women is that this is not going to be delivered by being quiet. This is not going to be delivered by being polite. So speak as loud as you have to, be as rude as you need to be, and let there be no holy cows. As you address issues that not only impact you, they've addressed and impact past generations and they'll impact future generations. And it's really up to your generation to make sure that we make more progress than what has ever been made, because we know that There's no time left. We can't keep talking about the same things, but the same things keep happening. So we do need a generation of adolescent girls and young women 
who are supported by those of us who believe in it, to take the microphone and speak with their own voices, speak to their own issues, and do whatever they have to do to further this conversation and to see it in policy and funding priorities. Nobody can do this for you. I remember hearing in one of your interviews that you said to a group of young women that they shouldn't aspire to be first lady, they should aspire to be president, (laughs) which I thought was kind of a great line. So (laughs) what do you say to them when they look at you and your distinguished office as first lady and all that you've been able to do having that position? What do you tell them about what they should aspire to? So if, if I have to tell young women what they should aspire to and they look at my office as an example, is that two things. You do not need to be a politician to make a change. What you need to do is not to be concerned about how people are going to perceive you if you step out of line. Because sometimes it is important to step out of line, to step away from the norm and say what has to be said. Because when you have... And some of you will find yourself in similar positions where you have high social capital. With me specifically, it's unearned social capital. So I need to spend that social capital on difficult conversations. So you you have to spend social capital on difficult conversations. But the second lesson that you can learn from a first lady is that if they are first ladies who can make a difference and they're not politicians, is imagine the difference you could make if you were politically and economically empowered. You can make a lot more difference than a first lady. So don't aspire to be a first lady. Aspire to be somebody who can be in places and spaces where your views can translate themselves into policies, action, and funding that improves the lives of women. There's an enormous gap between the rhetoric, and sometimes that's expressed in even national policies from governments, and then actual implementation, actually translating some of the goodwill often into actual programming on the ground for which governments are accountable, as well as donors and implementers and everybody else. Sometimes that is a very yawning gap. What do we need to do to highlight that and to address that? So there isn't a lack of goodwill and fantastic policy documents on what has to be done for adolescent girls and young women. Actually, when you read these documents, you realize the understanding is there. We know what the problems are. We know what the solutions are. But what bothers me is that there's this huge distance between the rhetoric and the actual implementation of policies. And we need to reduce this gap. And the reason we need to reduce it is that global levels of public trust in rhetoric and lived experience is at an all-time high. And the only way we can get global citizens and our, our, our citizens to trust us again is to start doing what we are talking about. And we we have no more time to keep talking about the same issues, but it's the same results. Is, Is that not the definition of insanity? 
And just one final point on that, you have a background in law and in business, and you have alluded to the investment case, but sometimes that's what people need to hear. What do they need to understand about the investment case for adolescent girls and young women? So the same way it covered and vaccines is telling us that it's cheaper to buy vaccines, regardless of your limited budget, than to treat COVID patients is the same issue around adolescent girls and young women. We must start funding the elimination of the cause, not the symptoms. We are dealing too much with the symptoms and we're not addressing the cause. So to me, it's about dealing with the big structural drivers, the multi-sectoral interventions, and the necessary political will and funding to deal with the cause, because it is much more expensive to continuously deal with the symptoms. What we see, the experience of adolescent girls and young women are symptomatic of a society that does not value women. It's expensive for all of us. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of AIDS 2021. For more information on our work on HIV, as well as on the impact of COVID-19 on adolescent girls and young women, please visit the CSIS.org Global Health Policy Center program page.